नमस्ते वी आर विद द मदर्स प्रेयर्स एंड मेडिटेशंस एंड स्टेप बाय स्टेप शी इज रिवीलिंग टू अस सर्टेन ट्रूथ्स सीक्रेट्स दैट वी हैव लॉस्ट ओवर अ पीरियड ऑफ टाइम दीज ट्रूथ्स वे नोन टू अस इन वे बैक फार बैक टाइम्स बट over a period of time for example now spirituality is associated only with meditation the moment you say spiritual life people think how many hours you are meditating and today only somebody very beautifully circulated something from the mother's writings it's in collected works volume 3 where mother says the number of hours you spend in meditation is no proof of your spiritual progress the sign of spiritual progress is that when you cannot but help meditate now this meditation is an inner state and she says there are some whom we ask to meditate others whom we ask to work and they progress through work so basically this idea of spirituality being completely something inward where we have some visions we hear some voices we have some experiences of all kinds well no doubt about it that it's a very captivating thing because we are freed from the boundaries of the cramped up narrow limited physical consciousness surface consciousness and for a moment we feel very nice it's like you know i give an example that when we go and see a cinema so when we see a cinema we see things which uh, probably don't exist like we see heroism courage idealism nobility and for a moment we are very happy we are lost in that world when we see the gods there we think are uh, so beautiful but when we come back on earth our life remains unchanged so it's no it's not enough to discover the perfection inside if we take it to the extreme what is important is to make this perfection manifest in our outer life and to change our outer life without which it has no uh, no real meaning okay individually it's okay that one discovers one has visions and one has experiences but ultimately until life upon earth changes as a result of what we have discovered within it doesn't really help much so this prayer is revealing to us something about that it's june 15th 1913 this prayer even he who might have arrived at perfect contemplation in silence and solitude this if should be underlined 10 times for every 100 people who sit for meditation this if maybe if we go by the figure of the gita for every 1000 there is one you'll find in a collective meditation thousands of people sit how many really arrive at that perfect contemplation in silence but even such a person who in arrives at such a perfect contemplation in silence and solitude could only have done so by extracting himself from his body by making an abstraction of himself because it's who can understand the divine it's something beyond human conception that's why you see there is a simpler way but we'll talk about it at the right place when we contemplate about the divine what do we know we have all our parameters yardsticks understand even when you we use the word divine love what do we understand of divine love we understand human love that to our human love so we think divine love is something like that we cannot imagine the love of kali but kali's love is there 
Krishna's love, people speak about it when somebody asked Sri Aurobindo, he said, yes, Krishna is very lovable and it's natural that people love him, but he is very exacting. It's very difficult to please Krishna. Sri words. We had realized oneness and identity. So what he'll do? He'll charm you, then withdraw. Then again he'll charm you. That poem, who knows? He says, lures us to weeping. He makes us cry and then lures us to seek him again. This is the way of Krishna. Very difficult for human consciousness and those who have, you know, loved him. And of all the aspects of the divine, he is Anandamaya, the most lovable and yet the most exacting. That's why you see, you we all have those... Uh, nice temples where Krishna, Radha, Raslila, Gopi, Gop. Uh, look at Mahabharata and the Kurukshetra, <laughs> Sudarshan Chakra. <laughs> no temple of Krishna dedicated to the Kurukshetra. Sri Krishna can be so exacting. So, in the absence of that, we make an abstraction. Abstraction means, oh, I am contemplating on divine, but I don't know. There is no foothold. That's why in Indian thought there are stories, so many ways, personalities of the Godhead, so that we have some foothold in the mind. But without a foothold, we arrive at an abstraction. And thus the substance of which the body is constituted would remain as impure as imperfect as before because body is not participating. It has been made to sit in solitude and silence and then rest of the activities are going on. One is withdrawing from the body. As imperfect as before, since he would have abandoned it to itself, this what most mystics do. They say body is like that, you can't help it. It will be prone to disease, suffering, death. But it also means it will be prone to animality. It is not said that. But it is understood. Because if the body is left unchanged, all this will remain. You just can't help it. Because it's part of the body. It clings to the body. And then she says something even more powerful. By a misguided mysticism. This kind of mysticism is misguided. By the attraction of supra-physical splendor. So I have such nice experiences. Sometimes it can be very funny. There used to be in, you know, Puna one... Kundalini awakening program. Nowadays, see, I had my awakening. People talk about it like they're talking about going to a shop and buying some stuff. So you just probe a little bit and you will discover. Because if, if you have really had the awakening, it, it can be shattering. It's not like, you know, I felt a nice sensation up my spine like a snake going upward. It's all book read and mind formulated experiences. So people talk about it. So I remember in Pune once somebody had come, oh, is the person awakes Kundalini. I said, what, what did you experience? My friend had gone. He said, nothing. I felt very cool effect at the base of the spine. I said, you didn't, don't need to go there. I mean, it can be a starting point, <laughs> cooling and all that. Cool, cooling, heat, all this is part of the process, depending on the which side of the Nadi is awakened. But the real Kundalini awakening and opening of the chakras can be a very powerful thing. So here she is saying, but even that, supra-physical splendors, visions and all these experiences, by the egoistic desire of being united with thee for his personal satisfaction. So these are the three things. One is, she says, why people are abandoned the body by a misguided mysticism. What is this misguided mysticism? That the goal of life is nirvana and personal salvation. 
by the attraction of supraphysical splendors that I want to do, what experience I'll have. You know, your people, Achha, what experience did you have? Once somebody asked Chote Narayan Ji, Aapke ashram mein kya experience hota hai logon ko? What experiences they get? So he says, I don't know about that, but one thing I know, that all thieves come and they steal all the spoons and everything is there, nobody picks it up. So he was trying to say that, you know, how the consciousness changes. All kinds of people come and the mother changes them into something else. And that's the biggest miracle that one can imagine. It's not about having some experiences in this or that state. They will come, but that's not the main thing. By the egoistic desire of being united with thee for his personal satisfaction. What is the big deal then? That's why Shurabindo writes and one of my favorite quotations. Um, I don't know now they have it in dining room or not, but they used to have it. There are two things perfectly pleasing to God in his servant and devotee. To sweep his temple floors in silent adoration or to fight the great battle of the future for the divine consummation in humanity. Two things. One can combine both. But look at it like what God likes. He does not, I have united, but from his side there was already a union. Separation was our illusion. But uniting only for liberation, nirvana, personal satisfaction is not enough. One must unite with the divine because we can serve him better, we can know him better, we can love him better. That's why we need to unite. But it's not the end in itself, not for personal satisfaction. He would have turned his back upon the reason of his earthly existence. The soul has taken a human body for this very purpose, that it has some work to do in the body. Nobody has forced it to take it. So it has entered into darkness. I think the other day I was reading in that renunciation. If this world is a world of darkness, all the more reason that children of light, children of immortality should plunge into it and build it there. That's why we are here. He would have refused, coward-like, to accomplish his mission to redeem and purify matter. This is what we are here for, to redeem. But first stage is when the psychic being, the soul within us, is tied to matter. So it's so conditioned that it forgets even who it is. It's like when you enter into a dungeon, you forget that you are here to clean. What is the first reaction? Oh, where have I come? So dark. Dham gutrai. You know, I feel stifled. Oh, it's dangerous place. One has forgotten that one has entered into this dungeon to bring light, to clean, to create a beautiful place there. So misguided mysticism is one is afraid, coward-like and runs away. To know that a part of a being is perfectly pure, to commune with that purity, to be identified with it, can be useful only if we subsequently utilize this knowledge for hastening the earthly transfiguration, for accomplishing thy sublime work. So there is a part in us which is uh, Shivoham, Shivoham, Mano Buddha Ankara. So there is a part which is not bound by any of these things, which is pure. In pure, by here it means not uh, the way we conceive purity. It is immune, the absolute, the perfect, the immune. It's like a diamond. You put diamond inside mud. You put it inside the worst things. It will remain a diamond. You take it out, put water and it's the same diamond. It doesn't get affected. That's why when Sri describes in Savitri, the absolute, the perfect, the alone, 
and then he describes the when he talks about the individual divinity the absolute the perfect the immune our mask of imperfection is assumed his image in the human measure cast that to his divine measure we might rise that is the purpose he has limited itself to our measure that part which is pure so to discover it's fine because then you know okay you are carrying this wonderful thing inside it's the light it's the beacon it's the guide it's carrying this lamp we have to change things otherwise we won't even know but to after discovering it the next step is to purify and redeem matter and earth nature so this is the prayer and we'll read it again july 15th 1913 even he who might have arrived at perfect contemplation in silence and solitude could only have done so by extracting himself from his body by making an abstraction of himself and thus the substance of which the body is constituted would remain as impure as imperfect as before since he would have abandoned it to itself somebody just few days back was asking why should one try for immortalizing the body or divinizing the body it's not for anything personal but because imagine we say divine is inside the body isn't it that's what all spiritual teaching says now imagine when you go to a temple i had this uh, experience somebody in ujjain took me to mahakaleshwar temple and it's a very famous place you know but the temple is dirty so what is your first reaction you have mahakaleshwar and you have not kept the temple precincts clean now imagine if somebody says what does it matter how does it matter if i keep it dirty mahakaleshwar is the same the same logic applies here if the divine is there wouldn't we want the body also to be as beautiful it is the temple of the lord would we not want that it should be moved by the most beautiful forces that its very substance tastes sweet that's why we have that famous thing in uh, you know we all have grown up with madhurashtakam everything the very body of the lord every aspect is madhuram so the body's significance if it is the temple of the lord if it is where the lord dwells so why should this temple not be as beautiful as the lord why should it be an obscuring temple everybody i i mean from the great mystics i don't want to name even there are paths where one meditates upon the body which is filled with uh, mans and majja you know all those things i was reading somewhere um, an advice that you you want to throw away the body's all the impulses so you meditate upon the body as either as a corpse or as being full of dirt and waste so this question was asked to shirbindo by dilip kumar roy most likely he says in our yoga we don't do that because body also has to participate in the transformation so we don't treat the body as something which is full of you know all kinds of horrible things and therefore discard it on the contrary this is uh, greatness to create in the body a beautiful thing and why can't it be created if they if we say the divine is omnipotent so again you know this other part no it cannot be done so then we have to accept divine is not omnipotent you know this is a paradox i just ask this question when people say no body cannot be changed earthly life cannot be transformed so i ask this question you believe in god yes is he omnipotent yes so what kind of omnipotence is this that the body cannot be changed and the earthly life cannot be changed 
If it cannot be changed, then it's not omnipotent. And if it is omnipotent and omniscience, the divine is, then why can't he change it? He can change it. This is what should be in the sense. Of course, there are conditions, there is a process. But a priori, if we deny that the body cannot be changed, outer life will remain what it is, then we are simultaneously denying the omnipotence and omniscience of the divine. By its nature, omnipotence means omnipotence. It can do, he can do all things. But yes, it doesn't mean by a magic wand. There is a process. But if we admit it is possible, then it is worth the effort. By the attraction, by, by misguided mysticism, by the attraction of supraphysical splendors, by the egoistic desire of being united with thee for his personal satisfaction. It is like those people who withdraw to some, you know, uh, nice places. Now there are no more left, probably, you know. Um, <laughs> thanks to this, <laughs> everywhere mask, everywhere this thing. But you know, you go to, people used to say, okay, we'll make our house in some hill station, nice big hill station. Why? Because other places are so horrible. Then the next step was, we'll settle down in America or some place. This is cowardly. You were born in India. There is a purpose behind it. Make this place, if you think that it is not beautiful, hurl yourself into it and make it beautiful. In fact, it's so beautiful that you are born in a place where you have work to do. What is the point of going somewhere where other people have put in labor and you are just going to enjoy? It's very selfish. That oh, others have built a system, I want to enter there and enjoy it. Go for studies if you want to. Come back and build something beautiful here. So it's the same thing, supraphysical splendors. I'll go to a nice place. Oh, this is very nice, worth settling. So, you know, people, rich people make some of these cottages in all the hill stations, foreign country and here, there. But the problem is wherever they go, they don't have peace. So sign of it is, whenever they speak about India or this, oh, it's, this is so horrible. So you're not at peace. If you are at peace, you'll find it everywhere. <laughs> if you have truly discovered peace, then you'll find it everywhere. So, supraphysical splendors. He would have turned his back upon the reason of his earthly existence. He would have refused, coward-like, to accomplish his mission to redeem and purify matter. This is the work given to us. Shubindu says very beautifully, and you see, the Gita we take in the context of battle. But there is another battle we have to fight. And see, we should not be cowards in this that beautiful, one of the very inspiring lines in the Life Divine where he says, If there is thy work, it is thee. And what is this work? This work is to create a divine supermanhood here out of our humanity. This is the work. And then he says, It is the work of works. The ascent to the divine life is the work of works. The sole acceptable sacrifice. Without which man would be, what will be he be? Just like a little, like a worm that has managed to for, form in itself in a little bit of speck of mud and water amidst the appalling immensities of the universe. So if you look at the earth from a larger perspective, it's mud and water. Human size like a worm. But there is something about human beings, we can ascend to a divine life. Not a divine consciousness only, divine life. And this is our real work. To know that a part of a being is perfectly pure, to commune with that purity, to be identified with it, 
can be useful only if we subsequently utilize this knowledge for hastening the earthly transfiguration, for accomplishing thy sublime work. So this is the task before us and it should fill us with energy rather than try to run away with a coward-like state like Arjuna wanted. Why should I spoil my hands? When you enter into the world with arrows flying, when you have to deal with the mud, your hands will become soiled. You just can't help it. If you don't want your hands to be soiled, then this is okay. That kind of mysticism where you want to be away in this some supraphysical plane. But if you enter into the world, your hands will get muddy. But also what will accompany with you, like the great Bhagirathi are the purifying waters of the Ganges. So this is the work which we are here to do, to transform matter and earthly life, to change it into some semblance of the life divine. Namaste.